Welcome to the Empowered Movement Podcast. Hello, friends. I had the pleasure of interviewing Marlo Fiskin when she was in Boise for a business conference that we were both attending. The conference had little booths set up where we could record podcast episodes. Um, it was supposed to be 15 minutes. And as you'll see, this episode is like 45-ish minutes. So they were nice and let us chat for a really long time. Um, I'm not going to edit the audio just because I kind of want to remember how it actually happened, but do want to kind of give a disclaimer of the recording equipment was different than anything I'd ever recorded on, and I'm not sure about Marlo. So if it seems like I'm struggling to communicate um, with her, a lot of it was I'm not used to being able to hear my own voice in my own headphones while also hearing the person I'm interviewing's voice in my own headphones. So it was a unique experience. It was super fun. And I'm really excited to share the episode with you all. Hello, friends. This is um, an interesting experience. We are, well, I'm here with Marlo Fiskin. Hello. We, we are at a convert kit, which is a like email platform, creator platform. It's a lot of things, um, listening to different speakers, and they have a little booth where we can record a podcast. So we are sitting in the booth recording, recording a podcast, which is super fun. Um, Marlo, hello. How are you? Are we not working? Oh, okay. So we're, okay. we're good. I think it's good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Marlo, hello. <laughs> this, is so, this is interesting. I like it. Um, for people that don't know who you are, can you describe who you are give a little bit about yourself hi i well i'm a pole dancer too i've been teaching movement of various sorts for 25 years now and uh it's an obsession it is (laughs) i love it but i um i grew up in virginia beach virginia went to school in miami lived in new york for 10 years and i've been traveling the world teaching movement and pole dance for a pretty long time now so um we know one another through the internet only, and here we are in real life together. Yeah. At a business thing. Yeah, at a business thing, which is um, a wild time to be alive, like meeting people in real life that we've only ever connected with through the online. Um, it's, it's been very fun, very um, interesting to see see people be, um, like outside of the screen. <laughs> it's great. Marlo, if you had to describe your like claim to fame and movement, what would you say? Pole dance definitely gave me a a much larger platform. Uh, When I started, I'd already had a pretty extensive background in dance and teaching, and I began pole before there was even a competition in the United States. So there were only, I should say, before there were competitions outside of the strip clubs, because that has been happening a long time. So I, at the time I began, you know, there was there wasn't even Instagram video. Facebook had just gotten video, so there wasn't there weren't a lot of resources, and there also weren't a lot of really varying approaches to pull. The stuff that I was exposed to were the the strippers that I would watch and study their videos, who were dancing in clubs in the United States for the most part. Um, so while everybody has their individual style, it still was like happening within the clubs, and I loved that you could do that and that was really what brought me in I was like I want to do this sexy stuff but then I just realized oh well everything I've ever known about movement I can I can play with this apparatus and apply it so um, I suppose that it was it was really when I started to perform 
and then I won an American and an international championship 2010 2011 and then the video got out and people knew who I was I'm putting on my sunglasses because it's kind of it's kind of sunny here even though we're inside it is sunny yeah <laughs> so we are in Boise um, and it has been like high 80s like the entire time that Marlo has been here very bright out until really late at night which is a a really unique experience in, in the world to have it be like 10 o'clock at night and still super bright out. Um, so you, you you started being exposed to dancing in strip clubs. Well, you grew up dancing, but more pole dancing was, was in, in the strip clubs. And then how did you venture from more pole work to how I know you is like floor flow, like, you know, rolling and making pretty fun shapes on the floor. Um, how did that journey happen? See, that's, that's more rooted in what I did when I was younger. So I went to a high school for the arts, and uh, amazing, a true, true gift of an experience to get to go to a regular school in the morning and then they, like, ship off all the arts kids. And I majored in modern dance when I was in high school, so that meant, like, I got grades for classes where we were rolling on the floor. Okay. Um, and the approach was different. So that was like modern dance is, is stuff that's in the more lineages of like Martha Graham, Eric Hawkins. These are more like codified ways of moving where they're not ballet, but they still have like form and they have a specific vocabulary. They aren't quite what we do in floor flow. Um, but a lot of the the modes of moving with the floor and what sometimes people are calling like somatic floor movement. Um, it's, it's all rather intertwined through that, what a lot of contemporary dancers get exposed to. So um, ever since I started teaching pole, I was also getting people to be more comfortable on the floor because I, it's, it, if you want to be more at ease in your body, you want to be more fluid as you move, floor is a great place to go and spend some time. And it's also because it's so accessible, it's really important to me because pole, the way that a lot of people are exposed to it is particularly inaccessible to different skill levels, body types, abilities. And um, I think there are certainly other ways that people can learn and explore pole. That's not very common, but it's delivered in a really accessible way. But the floor really is. You don't have to get up and down and even if you know, like a, a knee is unwilling to bear weight. It's okay. You can really work around it. So I, um, I love that it can both be such a platform for extraordinary skill, like you see in many breakers doing unreal things using connection to the ground, uh, or you know, a place to just get into a more restful movement state, like a, a healing kind of movement state too. So. Definitely, and I took the floor flow, floor flow teacher training every single time I say that. I like my F's get too much. Um, over when did that actually start? Late or mid last year? Yeah, <laughs> mid I love last it. Year. Yeah, I love it. And that was one of the um, surprising things that I didn't anticipate going into it was like how restorative it was to lay on the ground and move. Like I was. It, imagining more like oh this is going to be my like exposure to like more modern dance style mm -hmm. things because that was not my background at all and then yeah going through classes I'm like I don't know the last time I was like this relaxed or like just like aware of like where I am in my bodies and I was like oh I didn't realize like that movement was restricted or that I had the ability to access like that range of motion um so yeah 
exceeded my expectations in ways that I wasn't even aware of. Oh, um, I'm happy. I'm really happy to hear that because so many people go to wanting to learn a new movement thing from a place of like viewing a deficit. Like I don't have this, so I want this. I don't. I am not this, so I want this. And so that's suggesting that people want to change, like by learning something, for the most part. Of course, sometimes people go, oh, I want to hang out with people, or I just want to have fun. That's beautiful. Um, but we really can't make effective changes if we don't know where we are, you know, if you're not getting a really good baseline. And being on the floor lets you get to know those like, residual tensions that you're, you've been holding. That They're harder to observe when you're standing up and moving through space and especially when you're like on a pole and like just a lot more effort and complexity is is necessary so um yeah people sometimes say like that was the first time i truly wasn't thinking about what was next and i was able to feel my way from one thing to another which is a big breakthrough if you want to if you want to get a flow state movement you want to really access creativity you have to have some tools to not be in a so much of a predictive way of moving for sure and i feel like that's one of the most common things that um pole, pole dancers specifically will say like oh i want to move more fluidly i want to you know just have this like effortless graceful air around the way that i'm moving but the the way that they are um training or even just like looking at movement it's very like step one and then step two and then step three which there's a time and a place and like learning for that but if that's like the only way that you access movement it's going to be really challenging to switch from like robotic you know one two three four to like what comes next what feels natural Mm -hmm. where should i go from here yeah that's a (laughs) generally people want to be more fluid i do meet the rare especially with pole people person who's like i don't want to dance but i think that I'm not sure I've encountered someone who's like, I do not care anything about movement quality (laughs) whatsoever. And so, you know, like, yeah, like there's there's something about also presence. So if if whatever kind of mover we're talking about, if they have a a way that's very musical expressive or even if they're doing something that's a little bit more just showing their extraordinary skill, we still register whether they appear to be present doing what they're doing and if they are enjoying it in some way. And that doesn't mean like robustly smiling, but you can tell when someone's just in it, mm-hmm. when they're in the experience rather than in their head. For sure. You know, or even when somebody's making themselves train. This, people sometimes get here with competition where it's, it's so much, you've like lost sight of why you're doing it and you just have to get this thing done and it's, it's it's like an angry mode, <laughs> angry mode of training. So, uh, I mean, I've been there I've with been like, there. yeah, performance. I've been there. That's why I don't perform very much. Is actually like for them, it's a lot of time. I would like a performance when you say, "Hey, you're going on in five, because I don't have a lot of time to feel all of the that that comes along with having a long on ramp to a show. Although it is tremendously helpful for pushing yourself to the next level nothing is more motivating than maybe not nothing but like certainly people up level their skills when they feel like they have to perform or to compete um but i think that sometimes that weighs very heavily on people or if they only feel like they can access like motivation when they've signed up for a competition i am always (laughs) encouraging people to find some some other paths towards 
um, wanting to show up for themselves rather than just competition. Definitely. I've experienced that in my more in my like running journey where it's like if I'm not signed up for a race I'm not like super motivated um, to to actually run and then I just stopped running because I was like this doesn't seem like realistic that I'm like always having to have like the carrot in front of me and if I don't have that do I actually really like running I don't know so let's pause and um, re I don't know rethink the the journey around this particular movement yeah interesting Uh, one of the things that we were talking about last night and when you kind of already mentioned it today, is that um, pole not being accessible to, to everyone the way that it is currently mm-hmm. widely instructed. There, obviously, there's going to be a wide range in how studio each individual studio chooses to um, run their practice, level their classes, all, all of that kind of stuff. Um, what, were, what would you describe? Like, if we could invent a studio <laughs> and we got to choose, like, how things were developed... Um, that seemed to be yeah an interesting like sparking conversation so it brings me to the the two so when I encounter people all around the world who you know they they ask me what I do and usually that's because they looked at my arms right or something and they're (laughs) like what is it that you do and and if I feel like comfortable telling them what I do because not all people I want to like get into the conversation with for sure not out of shame but just like (laughs) do I want to talk to this person oh I move a lot, you know, okay, cool, true, true, true fact. Um, but if I want to go down that, and then they say, oh, I tried pole once, most of the time it is followed by, because you know with once that it clearly didn't become a habit, yep. is it was, they said, it hurt so much, or it was extremely hard. And I think we have a problem, <laughs> like that's the main takeaways from people getting a first taste at working with what is like it's added stability mm-hmm. so we're often people are learning how to do things but they have to pick themselves up off the floor where they have to put all or most of their body weight on skin that's not conditioned for what they're doing um you know or, or like trying yeah trying to learn spins when they have like <laughs> sweaty baby palms <laughs> you know and there there are just so many things that we could do with a stable post that is a pole that are tremendously fun and that doesn't mean they have to be like easy they can still be challenging but I think that people are sure that they can't do it because they were so unsuccessful at like lifting themselves up off the floor that first time they're like well this isn't for me because I can't mm-hmm. and um, so as far as the way beginners are exposed to movement well when you do other uh, movement modalities with a partner often you just learn how to share weight like how you can lean onto the pole or like pull away from the pole not in overhead positions for the most part there's so much that can be done at a more like chest level in the more really more conservative shoulder ranges of motion that still uh, involve work like pushing into and pulling away from but the whole sliding down because you're sweaty or don't aren't yet strong enough to suspend your weight for a moment um don't really affect the feeling that you could get it so i i think those things are important and it just so happens that a a lot of these principles of let's say like doing things with your arms lower giving weight to the pole taking taking uh tension which is like pulling away end up really helping you later on when you just want to flow so a lot of the very common beginner vocabulary is like rise up on your toes and then reach your arm really high and walk in a circle and maybe you do this spin. I spend a lot of time untraining those patterns from people that are 
want to have better fluidity because they're, they're like putting themselves in positions that are pretty locked down p- potential wise um, so I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of what foundations can we lay that are both like very accessible to the most people they're really sustainable in terms of like the positions that are being used the, the ways that we're like coordinating and generating movement uh, and they just so happen to be the foundations for the really cool stuff and that's usually how it works. Yeah. Like so, because um, it's the most uh, fundamental patterns to like the way humans move that really are the basis of so much like walking patterns, like kind of like basic locomotion stuff. <laughs> Turns out that's really useful for even if you want to generate power in spins. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which oh, we'll explore tomorrow. Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> Marlo is teaching three workshops um, in Boise tomorrow. Y'all won't, won't be able to come because this will come out before tomorrow <laughs> or after tomorrow. So sorry. <laughs> Sucks to suck. You should be in Boise. Go back in time. Sorry. Um, <laughs> but like ha- hearing you explain that has me reflecting on my beginner pole journey because I have not been pole dancing for nearly as long as you. I'm like five years in plus a pandemic. So like, you know, minus a few years with, with that journey. Um, and yeah exactly what you said the first class that I went to it was like dip turns you know arms overhead some not great cueing for those positions <laughs> yes. yeah like yeah. um and like very I have the videos from like not like my very very first class but like in the first like year mm-hmm. and it's yeah it's very stiff it's very robotic um and I remember like thinking so hard to just be able to like walk in a circle um and now having you know kind of moved past that I'm like eh, it probably shouldn't have been that challenging for me to just like walk around the pole like that should be That's, a pretty accessible yeah, thing that but happens when we like try to over break things down mm-hmm. rather than focusing on like an overall way of moving or pathway and that's kind of like the the brilliance of what happens transpires in a strip club to some degree is it's not like step by step do this really isolated internal body cue it's like finding flow mm-hmm. how can you move so that you're moving continuously and like projecting this particular essence so um yeah yeah no and it, yeah it has me rethinking um because a lot of a lot of how pole I think like traditions and like teaching methods are continuing is it's like how I experienced my first pole journey and obviously I liked it because I have still continued to do it um like that's my normal right so never been exposed to anything differently it tends to be like oh this is what like a normal first day of pole looks like and then you know you just kind of intentionally unintentionally repeat those patterns with the people that like I now instruct and now I yeah I'm gonna have to rethink because I'm like maybe we shouldn't start with like arms up overhead maybe we should start with like a little bit kind of for me it's like why (laughs) if you I, I, I like to take inspiration always from forms of movement that move with ease like they just move with ease they move naturally and they appear to be able to do it for a longer period of time like i'm not going to take most of my inspiration from a movement form where everyone has to retire when they're in their early 20s which they exist and it just so happens that a lot of pole dancers really look up to some of the training methods that evolve let's say in rhythmic gymnastics or things like that where there's a reason that people aren't 40 years old doing rhythmic gymnastics yeah um 
but with like a lot of partner dance forms and like swing and blues and Brazilian zouk. For, like yes, an arm comes up when you're gonna do a turn, but for the most part, you're interacting with your partner with what's like a, a frame, a frame of movement. And um, yeah, same things in like contact improvisation. You see people that are you know silver-haired, white-haired still rocking it, picking people up because there's no, like, know where your center of mass is. Get under somebody. Like, don't grab somebody by the hands and wrists to move them. Use the surfaces of your trunk and feel where your center of mass is. And really getting, understanding body organization as a principle. And then if you understand that when your head goes down, then your ass is going up, it sure makes things like getting upside down from all these different entries a lot easier, a lot, a lot less heave-hoing <laughs> or dangling, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's also very exciting to, talk, like, do this, like you're proposing kind of like a blank slate exercise, even if it's just, you know, for our, your own classes. Like, if I was going to start everything over again, what would I do? And you could just start dripping that into the work that you're already doing. Definitely. Yeah, I feel like it... Like every everything, there's a added layer of like people have their own expectations of what like a first pole class is mm-hmm. going to include, right? So how can you balance the? I want you to not leave with that like fifty fifty. Like either it was amazing and you're addicted, you're getting the unlimited membership, or you're like that was so hard and hurt so bad. I'm like never yeah. gonna do it again. Um, with the yeah, the you know all of the all of the things mm-hmm. that are motivating people to take the step into the, the studio for the first yeah. time I mean well, that's the the other side of like what comment do people say that is the reason that they only did it once is why do people stay and people say I had so much fun I started to have like a, a different I see a different possibility for myself like I, that happened to me with pole you know I grew up dancing I didn't grow up doing gymnastics so I was like a pull-up seemed virtually impossible like when I started pole I couldn't even bend my elbows to, to get up over a bar it oh, was goodness. like a, you know the black the black hole of body awareness literally that that sense of like there's no connection here I don't understand how people do this um so w- once I started then it it just started to I started to set new standards and possibilities for what I could do outside of the usual dance <laughs> approach um so people stay because they that they're like okay I can get to this next level they start to believe in themselves um, and that fun, the community, feeling sexy is a common one. They like get to get to experience those like sensual and circular movements that probably they haven't been able to really be encouraged to explore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we can still have that and move sustainably. We can have it all. <laughs> we can do it all. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think about back to what was my motivation to continue and it was um having done more traditional sports growing up there wasn't not that I wasn't bad at things but it, it was like oh I understand how this works and like I can see where there's a clear path you know like soccer it's like oh if I want to be able to kick the ball into the goal like I need to work on my ability to you know kick a ball um and went in thinking that pole wasn't going to be super challenging. Mm. I was just like, oh, you know, I have a, a wide movement background in more traditional movement. And I was like, this is going to be like a freaking breeze. And it was not a freaking breeze. And I was like, absolutely not. Am I going to be bad at something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, no. <laughs> um, and especially movement. That was like my, like, I really and still do identify as like, oh, a good mover, an athlete. And yeah, finding out that I was not. And I still like on a regular basis, I'm like, you thought you moved well. 
we still have lots of work to do. It's like, we're going to keep going. We're going to figure I'm, it out. I'm curious about, like, you know, what, what connections from your athletic background maybe haven't, like, sparked yet. Because, like, you, you know, you have this body, body intelligence from getting pretty far with any discipline. And there's so many more connections than we sometimes understand depending on how we're introduced to a way of moving like we can feel like these movement forms are like super disparate and there's like oh this is nothing like that but like usually fundamentally there are there are these things about like when you did javelin you know Mm -hmm. going from back to front and using rotation right generated like from the ground hips shoulders and like you need pre-stretch before you send your arm forwards and hey guess what that's all the same stuff that makes a static spin rock not having your arms super high and having both hands pinned to the pole and trying to generate all of your momentum from a leg. Which now you're like connecting dots to me because I love static pole. Like spin pole gives me like the heebie-jeebies and that's probably why because I'm really like in tune with like I need to transfer weight from one foot Mm -hmm. to the other to have something move whether it's like a ball or the javelin or something that is a light bulb yeah. moment yeah. Marlo I, that's a, you know I, I love that it was like one of my greatest joys is like <laughs> helping people relate what they're already doing to what they're already good at when sometimes it feels like they're not that similar but yeah that was a that was a thing I actually looked into quite a lot like a couple months ago because I filmed who knows when it'll be out but I filmed a, a course that's about static spins and mm. I just like realizing so many people learn to have one or two hands on the pole before they generate their momentum and it like defies how you do anything in a really powerful, cohesive way that like utilizes the elasticity of fascia in any other activity. Yeah, it's all it's always that like you're gonna step, you're gonna step, you use the torsion of your torso, and then you add a hand or you project something out of your hand. You don't throw something out of your hand before you finish rotating your torso. You know, so yeah. you wouldn't then make connection with the object until you also like either finished a rotation or kind of had these like counter spirals in your body so um you know and why are we doing it this way and because we just inherit ways of teaching things from often who taught us and the the interesting thing is that sometimes we will teach something aligned with how we heard it taught even if that's not what we actually do when we're performing at a high level and i see this happen where you like people will maybe teach a skill in a way that's, they've heard it broken down like that, or it appears that these are the necessary ingredients, but then when they actually do the theme, there's a, there's a different sequence of coordination happening. So um, piecemeal, piecemeal approaches are good for zooming in on details, but they're not good for cultivating like our best ways of moving. For sure. You need to like see the whole pathway and get to know what those energy, those like how energy is moving through your body and out of your body, um, and you can't address that through like put this here, put this here, pull this down, and then just make this little motion and expect it to work. Like, that's not how yeah. it goes. Which yeah, it's definitely that's how pole is traditionally taught, right? It's like right arm high, left arm across. Um, I've actually talked to Judy about this quite a bit where. Inverts was a, the topic that we were talking about, like the cueing that is like most commonly used for inverts and how people actually move. Even the instructor can be like, you know, we're going to do this, 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 and then do the movement and they won't do what they just said. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
have, have you talked to Judy ever about like movement or anything? Some she, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, yeah. she's just like, well, I'm the asshole that'll point it out to people when they're like, <laughs> <laughs> your words aren't matching what you're mm. actually doing, which I, I think is hilarious. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people like aren't able to like, put those two like connections to be like the words yeah. that I just chose to describe how I'm going to mm-hmm. move and how I'm actually moving are not the same. And when you're trying to teach someone that has like no idea what the end thing is supposed to look like, that can be really confusing yeah. to learn from. Uh, and I, but I think that the, that as a practice goes beyond instructors because um, when we both for, for students too have to to find words to express what we're doing we usually in that process become more aware of what we're doing for sure even if movement is like you know could be pre-verbal like you don't need words in order to understand a movement pathway mm-hmm. but culturally we use a lot of words for things maybe too much to, for even for movement but you'll sometimes find uh, hey can you feel where your pelvis is in relationship to your foot right now and then as they they just like to search for those connections and put it into words like a new neural pathway <laughs> got connected and yeah so um yeah we're you know words about movement aren't just for for teachers or like you know is what i'm hearing aligning with what i'm doing yes. if it's not what are the words that actually express what i'm doing or if it's not words big fan of images like what does what i'm doing most look like like a familiar action, like pouring water out of a cup. Yeah. Or like, a, what, are the, what are the things that starts to spin and lift off? Oh, what are they called? A little mechanism that like, and it yeah. spins and it goes into the air. <laughs> I don't know, like a little helicopter yeah, a little, yeah. twirl toy. A little toy, thing. yeah. Like, you know, yeah. something like that. And often these like very familiar images or devices uh, can be very helpful to help us get a feel for what we're doing. Definitely. You know? You you definitely like more imagery cues, in my experience that we when we moved together and the first time I was like oh my god what are you talking about <laughs> like yeah. this is so like why why are we not using like actual not like actual words but just like more cues wording mm-hmm. that like I was used to but um, having gone through yeah you know, the floor flow I was like oh you can get the same result without using as many words or just being like there was one we were in where it was like move across the floor like an octopus and like that worked really well like it was the my initial reaction was like what the fuck but then I was like oh like I can imagine how an octopus can move Mm -hmm. like I don't know how I would describe that like that movement pattern in any way shape or form but like yeah I'll suction cup my body across the floor yeah um you know that that the uh, you'll sometimes not not everyone has a thinks and images as uh, right the same amount there there are in fact is even like some percent of the population something like one percent that's that little to no images formed in their mind's eye to the point of it even considered like a disability of sorts mm. um but you know and um we're good at what what we're used to or what we practice or what we're exposed to um everyone's cognition is images like when we think and we're forming words, like ultimately we're, there's like a, a movie in your mind's eye. Uh, and so like everybody does practice it. Often like the dialogues that we are like having or experiencing is because we're, we're literally imaging something. And mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, it can be a shortcut to, to less words or it doesn't require any special uh, knowledge, you know. And I'm a total like technical body nerd too. 
but I it's, it's really interesting to watch if somebody gets a breakdown that's you know really if some, let's say someone speaks more like technical body language and you're like, okay, lift your right ischial tuberosity off the floor, then begin flexing at your left hip, uh, neutralize your cervical spine, and then finally at the bottom, uh, exhale fully and allow your spine to flex until you're relaxed over your leg. You know, and all those things are, you have to hear them, you have to know what those words mean. You have to think them, locate them in your body, and pieces, 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 parts that don't necessarily result in just <laughs> like raise one cheek up off the floor, get long, and cascade down over your leg, or those those like more simplified ways of saying things. So, but uh, yeah, you're not alone in going. What are these words being said? I've certainly had teachers that I have no idea what they were asking for at times, um, but. It's oh, part God. of the journey. It is, yeah. <laughs> Different it's, language. Yeah. It's an interesting, um, you know, like, we, we have similar backgrounds in, like, different ways where it's, like, yes, you could talk, like, very technical about, about movement and then um, being able to tap into the, like, is this the best way mm-hmm. to, to teach this and um, realizing that instructors are, they're on that journey too, right, where they're, like, trying to figure out, okay, what is the the best way for the end goal that I want my my students or myself mm-hmm. to get to like how do I simplify and like make that yeah be as accessible as possible and it's challenging there's a lot more that goes into having an idea of what you want someone to do and being able to get them to to get how you want that to definitely. be definitely yeah definitely I, and yeah I that that for me, gives back to the spark of like find the connection to what it is that you already do and know. Yeah. So let's just say somebody wants does really wants to do a handstand, you know, and they've never even done a downward facing dog, you know. But to be successful at a handstand, you are gonna have to get used to pushing, like and pushing while your arms are overhead. So like, has this person ever uh, had like <laughs> something heavy in front of them that they've had to push or like? Uh, something that rolls, you know, there's, there's certain feelings. And if I haven't experienced that, like, let's do that first. That's yeah. more like your daily life. And then we just keep like drip, 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 rather than <laughs> let's just take it to the wall and kick up, kick up and whoop, that clap's probably loud. I got excited. Um, you know, like, yeah, the, the idea of like pushing the floor away shouldn't be the last thing that we get to know. It's actually like one of the primary things because you're yeah. really safe in the kick up if you understand the push. For sure. So just like handsprings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh goodness. Yeah. Which is um, also something that I I want more for myself, and then more for instructors, especially in the pole world, of being like, what is the the entry point? Mm-hmm. Like, what is like the not what you've been taught entry point, but what is like the actual like simplest entry point to to start doing this? Um, because a a lot of a lot of how I've been taught um, is like step six, right? Like we start, we start like way later in the process where it's like, oh, you, you know, you want to invert, you want to, mm-hmm. you want to climb, or you want whatever, whatever trick you want to say. There's um, there's an assumption that it, like it's like you have the awareness, the ability to do yeah. where we're, where like the common entry point is. Like there's a lot of a lot of stuff behind that that I don't think enough people realize that like we, we could break this down like a little bit more yeah, yeah. it's yeah. uh so it, 
fun to explore that stuff for me. Like it's endlessly exciting, the boiling things down to their more fundamental, fundamental level. And uh, the good news is that means that I feel like for both of us, you have a lifelong career doing this if you want to, right? Rather mm -hmm. than like what's harder, what's next? How can we boil it down even further, which then promotes more connections to more other things that we're doing and allows more people to enjoy this phenomenal activity with so much potential um, and you know potential for communities that <laughs> we never see in pole <laughs> doing pole like I, I, I think that um, you know a lot of our our elders do like chair fitness because it's stable and you can't yeah. like fall over as easily if you're in a chair. Um, well, a pole's a really stable thing to hold on to, to do some movement. So I think that <laughs> it's actually tremendous for people that have more challenges with balance or like need that support. You could even use a chair and a pole. I've done it before. Not like, well, I know people do the, the chair dancing with a pole, but I mean actually like sitting and having something to pull on to help you mobilize your spine. Oh. It's, there's so much there, um, but it's, yeah, it's just not something that's, that's, uh, that happens very often, but I would love to see it. I would love to see that too. Like instead of a, like a yoga chair class, like that was a really common thing mm -hmm. at a, a gym that I had a space at for a while that was geared towards people like over the age of 50 and they had, yeah, like a chair yoga class, yeah. um, like a chair pole class. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, it could be chair pole yoga, you know, it's, it's yeah. just, a, we now have something to create that tension with, like to pull our body away from something that we're fixed to is really missing, even from like normal yoga or like a lot of people are doing some sort of body weight activity, but they're not actually hanging from something. They're missing out on that like tractioning possibility, yeah. um, lengthening with load, with the load of your, your own body weight gets missed out on, uh, you know, in yoga is you're doing yeah. like chaturangas or you could sure you could pull on the floor when you're in like an up dog or something but it's different yeah it's more like compressive pulling rather than yeah. that yeah. yeah so so much potential <laughs> i love it um one of the other we're gonna kind of squirrel moment away from pole stuff one of the things that i've been loving spending the past couple days with you is your passion for like infusing movement into like everything. So we're, we're at a conference and it's nine to, I think it ends at five thirty, And then, um, they're like the most uncomfortable chairs. Sorry. There's like a, one of the workers walking by I'm like, sorry, they're very, very uncomfortable chairs. Um, and Marlo and I are the, the people sitting on the floor, which is great. I love it. I love that. I'm not the only one. Cause I always feel weird when I'm like, I cannot sit in a chair for this long. Um, but yeah, we've had a few conversations about like the importance of having, spaces structures where play is um like welcomed and i think that's and in your face yes. really you know it's not even like oh go enjoy yourself like right in the middle have that <laughs> or like literally call it floor seating zone in the very front and have some balls have some cushions people because they're not going to do it unless you create the space for it and cue people right like we we behave based on cues for sure and habits so you can recreate new cues <laughs> to form new habits like all the time we went on the giant tensegrity structure today and yes. combined hanging and climbing with deep thoughts about the human structure 
we were sloths for a while. It, that was a new a new movement for me. It, it went medium. I will have to re-explore it because I was like, what I, is happening? I don't think I did it very well either, and I like set the example. So we'll both have to. Slothing is when you're on a horizontal bar, uh, you know, with your knee or knees wrapped over the bar with your double, double cup grip, straight arm hanging. So your spine is more or less horizontal, and you're traveling head first. So you're like hand over hand, kind of pulling yourself. Um, good time. Very fun. I see parkour folks do this sometimes on some of the oh, okay. things that they do. So yeah, yeah. So it was it was super fun. I was I don't remember the last time I laughed that like much. Like especially with movement, I was like, oh my god, this is so weird, but so fun. I couldn't figure out what to do with my legs. That was I think where things went wrong. Where I was like, I don't. I, we can do one. We can do arms or legs. We we don't have both right now. So arms one. Yeah, it was fun. Um, how do you feel? it would be best for let's say even just like in the pole world the average pole person a lot of dancers like they work a nine to five you know they have a very set way of moving throughout the day and then they go to class and are asking their bodies to do some very drastically different things do you have thoughts tips on the average person yeah i mean i i think you know there's nothing novel about like hey could you make your workspace more dynamic like is there is there an option and i i think just going to let's say a standing desk only isn't really the option because we're going to run into problems when we're in the same position too much yeah regardless of what it is it's like just time spent in a in a position can accumulate (laughs) and to a you know a, a negative effect um but like ha- having options with your your space that you're working in, whether that's like stand a dynamic chair, a lot of chairs, like actually the ones we're in right now, uh, the front of the chair is considerably higher than the back. So a lot of chairs are designed with like a, a downward slope towards the butt, and it's really difficult to have anything other than like a, a tail tuck, mm-hmm. rounded lumbar spine situation. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that position, but when you start spending all your day like that, chances are some stuff is gonna not feel fantastic or not function fantastically. But then some people say, uh, you know, I'm in, an, I'm in like around other people, maybe less now, more people are working at home, but um, I, I posted like these, we take cues off of other people. And I've heard stories of folks who put, let's say a little pull-up bar in the doorway to their office where they even co-work with other people and people start to come by and like touch the bar, like kind of just, you know, not like full hanging, but like tractioning their, their body um, or kind of getting these cues like, oh, we're standing up and wiggling a little bit. So sometimes it's kind of weird to be the first, but you know, once like somebody else joins in then it starts to become normal and okay. And I think it's very exciting to initiate those changes that are gonna be better for everyone. <laughs> um, but I do think, uh, we have to be practically hit in the face with the cues that are inviting us to have a more balanced movement diet um, because the cues that are telling us to do otherwise, like phones, devices, the, the furniture that we're on, even the, the flooring being like continuous, smooth, um, those are everywhere. So, you know, if you do hang a bar, one of my tips is like, hang something on it that'll like hit you in the face, <laughs> like, like a rubber band or like some rings, just the cues, and you have to refresh them. Um, if anybody's ever read an article on like, you know, 
becoming less addicted to social media, you'll sometimes see these things about like, you know, switching where your apps are located, just little things that add a little bit more friction so that you mm. don't do the familiar. And, uh, you know, with, with, the, with queuing ourselves to move, you kind of have to keep redesigning it. So sometimes a lot of people have a home movement space, you know, it starts to collect dust. It's not getting, it's not getting attention. It's just like maybe collects your laundry or, or something like that. Um, so, um, you know, similar to the, the tips from um, James Clear and Atomic Habits and BJ Fogg and Tiny Habits are like the night before, prep your space. If you, even if you just like clean it, you're gonna be so much more likely to use it if it feels clean and inviting. And that same goes for studios. Like people want to come to your studio if it feels cleaner than their house. <laughs> <laughs> and if it starts to be like, oh, there's hairballs on the floor, and then you know, you, you people are deterred whether they're aware of it or not. So, um, we do, we do love a, a place that gives us that spaciousness to pay attention to our body. Um, so, that's a big one. But beyond all that, uh, go outside, go outside, even 15 seconds. Like stick stick your actual head out the actual window <laughs> or the door. <laughs> And take a couple of breaths. Uh, it can shift a lot, but I think going outside and going for walks uh, cannot be uh, cannot be uh, overstated as important and valuable, and probably like the number one most important thing we could be doing with our bodies. Because for you know millions of years, that was the number one thing that we did, and then we're barely doing it now. Yes. So yeah, a walk, it counts. It does, and it's like one of the lowest accessibilities of movement right like you don't need a lot of equipment mm-hmm. um obviously if you don't have the ability to walk that's like a whole a whole nother thing but if you have the ability to walk yeah that's like one of the the best ways like to just it's a full body thing mm-hmm. yeah yeah and if you're walking and you notice that it's not a full body thing you're like oh my my arms don't swing it's a good place to start to experiment like where you notice there's kind of a a stagnation or a lack of movement in walking. Uh, and sometimes when we, you know, we start to examine anything, whether it's like breathing or walking, we start to look at it, all of a sudden we go, ah, I don't know how to do this thing. You know, like as soon as we start doing like breath stuff, people are <laughs> like panic, am I breathing right? Or am I walking right? But you can also explore movement while you walk. For sure. You know, like I, I sometimes do just really like exaggerated arm swings or like, you know, twist, uh, widen my strides that's you just using the while you're gating <laughs> while you're locomoting you you add in these other little things these other little twists and uh, god it feels so good um i'm that person who's doing like some arm gestures overhead walking down the <laughs> walking down the road yeah. me too my neighbors think i'm bonkers because i'm doing the same where like we're like hella twisting arms are overhead internal external rotation i'm like i need like all of it to move (laughs) this is making me feel like we need special shirts that we wear when we walk that's like just inviting other people to like join you know yes join our walking crew of non-traditional walkers uh you know it might like it might look strange but you don't know until you try it yeah come do it well i believe it is time for our lunch oh we're lunching which is um a super fun time i can hear i don't know if you can hear that too other people like in the background 
no. Um, but <laughs> sorry, we're we're right in the middle of a conference, and there's lots of people, lots of things happening. But it's been amazing talking so to you. So great. Yeah. So so fun to slip away, have a good convo with a fancy microphone. I know. We're so fancy here, <laughs> our headsets and everything. And then, um, yeah, this will get posted at some time. I'm gonna try to edit some of the background sounds out if possible, and Yay. we'll go from there. Thank you so much, Dr. Emily, for having me on your podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. And I'll make sure to tag yeah, where people can find you and all the amazing things that you do so that you can connect with Marlo if that's something you're interested in. Yeah. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Uh, bye.